Coming at you from the Steel City, you're listening to Poor Man's Podcast, Pittsburgh's premier comedy podcast. Your weekly dose of humor hosted by Chris Hopper and with a new special guest each week. And here's your host, Chris Hopper. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Poor Man's Podcast, PMP, one-on-one. I am your host, Chris Hopper. Today, I will be sitting down with Clark's singer, Scott Blazy. A lot of you know him, obviously, from the Clarks, but he's also a solo singer, guitar player. Um, It was awesome to sit down and talk to him. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, as so many of the listeners here do, and I grew up listening to the Clarks, so it was all really, uh, really a good time to be able to talk to Scott, talk to him about his career in music, kind of starting out with his band, and how his life is now being a dad and being with his family. Um, it's really cool. Uh, one thing that really blew my mind with uh, with him and the Clarks are just kind of the longevity and how they've stuck together as a band. You don't see that a lot. You see uh, kind of the Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue kind of falling in and falling out bands, or, you know, even the ones that aren't like that. You know, you just get sick of the same people touring with them and being around them all the time. And uh, they formed in the mid-'80s and still playing shows. They have shows coming up, so a testament to how talented and professional they are, I guess, and just their relationship with each other. It was cool talking to him about that. Scott actually didn't start really his musical career until later in life um and like college in a cover band but you know i won't go too much into that i'll let you listen to the interview uh one of the best parts was talking to him about his time his performance on the late show with uh david letterman so i can't wait for you guys to listen to this and uh without further ado here i am with uh clark's lead singer scott blazy hey i'm rick seaback and you're listening to poor man's podcast Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the Poor Man's Podcast tonight. I'm your host, Chris. Joining me in this newest edition of our Poor Man's Podcast one-on-one, we have the lead singer for Pittsburgh's, the Clarks, Scott Blazy. Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. Christopher, pleasure to be here, bud. Oh, it's awesome to talk to you. I've, I've listened to your music my entire life. Uh, I've grown up in Pittsburgh, and I, I say I say Pittsburgh's band, but I guess Indiana really is where you started, right? That's right. Yeah, I mean, technically, we're an Indiana, Pennsylvania band. That's where the band first started, where we had our first rehearsals and first gigs. Yeah, back in 1986, the fall of 1986. So going on, well, what 30, 37 years now? Oh wow! I mean, it's it's I'm a, like I just said, I'm a big fan of I've loved your music my entire life. I was born in '90, so I I've literally known it my <laughs> entire life. Um, but um, I kind of I guess I would like to start with the beginning, which would make the most sense. Kind of just how you grew up. Did you grow up in like a musical family, or how did you get involved in music? Well, sort of musical. My dad was a very a much a music lover um sort of a frustrated drummer he always called himself yeah uh, in the garage he had congas and bongos and a snare drum and just all kinds of stuff to to hit and uh he had you know his stereo out there he played records and just loved all kinds of music everything from louis prima to uh jim croce to al green yeah. i mean he just turned me on to a lot of really good music at a young age 
And uh, my mother was a music lover too. She didn't really play any instruments, but uh, you know, she enjoyed music as well. And I didn't really play music growing up. Uh, I was, you know, I was just a typical kid growing up in the seventies. Played baseball and basketball and sandlot football and uh, ride bicycles with my friends and just sort of did the typical kid stuff growing up. Had a good childhood. I was an only child. My parents were a little older when I was born, so had everything we needed and. Um, just absorbed all this wonderful music, uh, particularly in the seventies, you know, listening to the radio and, oh, right. and then the late days, you know, sort of tape songs off of the radio with my boom box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Took it from there. Oh yeah. That that's, I mean, I, I love hearing that from the beginning. I, I even remember, I mean, I'm by no means a musician, but I, I, I love music. My dad would listen to Jim Croce. So that's one I, I definitely loved. Oh. Um, but I remember listening to the radio and even just on like a Fisher Price with the with the, it was like a cassette player with the microphone and just taking it off and <laughs> pretending to be the DJ in between songs. All right. Um, but I so you uh, grew up in Indiana and then went to IUP, right? Is that where the band formed? Is that where you started doing music? Because that seems kind of later than you would hear other people. I mean, in college, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, I grew up in Connellsville. Connellsville's in Fayette okay. County, so that was where I grew up and graduated from Connellsville High School in 1982 and then went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, started there in 1983, and on my freshman uh, hall in the dorm, a couple friends who had guitars, and they would sit around and you know play guitar, taught me some chords, and uh, I just sort of fell in love with it. And the summer after my freshman year, I remember telling my dad I'd love to learn how to play guitar, and so he pretty much just put me in the car, and we went down to Brooks Music Center in Connellsville, yeah. and he bought me a, uh, a Yamaha acoustic guitar, and I uh, took a few lessons from a friend of mine, and then uh, you know just kind of took it from there. Learned how to learned how to play along with songs on the radio, and uh, played for a year or two, and then met Rob and Dave. Uh, they were starting the band. Uh, at IUP, you know, I obviously went back to school for my sophomore year and then met those guys through mutual friends and, and the uh, love of the same type of music. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the time, this was probably 1985, 1986, it was bands like REM and U2 were still pretty much considered college bands or, or somewhat underground. They hadn't really broken through commercially mm-hmm. uh, like would uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And then uh, you know, other bands like the Pretenders and and English Beat and just sort of the, what we called New Wave at the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, just loved those kind of bands. And, and um, Rob and Greg started the band and asked if I wanted to, to sing. And I had, you know, really just been playing for a short time and and uh, decided to, you know, jump in with both feet and uh, learned on the job. Rob taught me a lot of stuff, sort of watched him and showed me. He showed me, you know, things to do on the guitar, and um, and the band really started off as a cover band, you know, playing covers yeah. that were the bands that I just referred to, and uh, you know, we started writing our own music '86, '87. I graduated in '87. Uh, we all sort of graduated around that time, and and uh, moved to Pittsburgh. Uh, started writing more original music, and and made an album, and came out in 1988 called "I'll Tell You What, Man." Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of just just young, sort of um, fast and loud. Uh, that was our. <laughs> yeah. Was our, 
Wait. Our, our motto, the faster and louder, the better, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you you, and, you uh, see a lot of those, the, the punk bands even in the 80s, like the Ramones, or, I mean, not that, that the music's not good. It is. It's just fast and loud. You see those, you know, right. minute and 40 second songs that you don't see in, in other times. But, yeah. Black Flag, Suicide. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, those kind of, and, and that wasn't really my thing. I mean, I, I listened to some of that stuff, but I was, I liked a little more, uh, not quite as aggressive. And right. I was more of a, a fan of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and yeah. I was a big Prince fan. So a lot of different kind of influences. Went through a huge Beatles phase in right. college. Um, How, so absorbed a lot of that where, kind of stuff. So, you know, started to try to write more uh, melodic things and, and I uh, started getting some, gaining some traction in Pittsburgh, a little mm-hmm. bit of attention, started playing a lot more gigs, and we all had day jobs. And then uh, uh, the girl I dated in, in college, uh, we dated for a couple of years, and we went our separate ways amicably. And um, when she walked out of my apartment, um, I walked into the bedroom and picked up my guitar, and I wrote a song called Penny on the Floor, mm-hmm. and it was slower and and a little more heartfelt than than what the band had been doing i was a little nervous about showing the band the song (laughs) they loved it and we recorded it and and, uh, wdve started playing it a whole bunch the big rock station in pittsburgh so that was really a um a cool thing and and our our shows really um grew from that point on we just a lot more people came to the shows we started playing outside of Pittsburgh started traveling to Cleveland and Youngstown and Harrisburg and Morgantown and, and now down to Nashville and, and, uh, and, uh, started playing more than just weekends. And, and we all sort of quit our day jobs yeah. early nineties and, uh, never looked back. So is, is kind of getting on DVE one of the things that got you, I mean, out a lot more I, back then, um, obviously they don't have like how they have it now where you can, anybody can post anything. I'm going to go post this, you know, you don't have to really have, you know, as many credentials or maybe not, not that you don't work as hard, but you really have to keep working at it and compete with everybody where now, you know, if you get the right algorithm or whatever, you can get those views. So obviously you had to work real hard to, to get to that point. Were you always kind of comfortable in front of people? Because you said, you, I mean, you go from, you know, I guess being an athlete in, in high school growing up to being the lead singer of a band. You're right in front of people uh, and not even with a ton of experience playing guitar or anything. So right. mean, were you always comfortable in that role? I don't know about comfortable. I was uh, eager to do it. I was mm-hmm. a little nervous about it at first, um, probably because I just didn't feel like I was very good. And I, and I wasn't, I mean, I was, I had just started playing, you know, Rob had been playing for many years and Dave had been a drummer for many years and Greg had been playing for, for longer than I had. And I think I was just a little insecure about my ability and my, especially my guitar playing ability. I felt like I could sing. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, I, it, it, the comfort level grew over the years, but yeah, there were definitely shows early on that I was, you know, kind of nervous and just sort of close your eyes and do it and, and hope for the best. Um, but, uh, the comfort level definitely grew over the years after, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. Never felt that I was a very good singer until much later on in our career. Mm-hmm. Um, our player for that matter, it, it took it for me, I felt like it took uh, quite a few years to to get comfortable with that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I, as you were saying, I guess you learn on the job and just doing it, you know, over and over and over again, you have to get better at it. Um, so 
you were saying, I guess this was around what the early nineties with Penny on the floor, where that was kind of what was kind of like a jumping off point, at least for, you know, locally, if not beyond locally. Um, right. So where was the journey at from that point? Now you're starting to get into the mid nineties, more kind of commercial success there. Right. Uh, we put out an album in 94. Um, you know, this was beginning sort of the heyday of, of CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, vinyl had sort of gone by the wayside um, and cassettes were, were, were dying as well. And, and CDs were, were taking over. And in 94, we put out an album called Love Gone Sour, Suspicion and Bad Debt. And it had a song called Cigarette on it. And mm-hmm. that got a lot of airplay. Pittsburgh and Cleveland and, and other parts of the country up in Appleton, Wisconsin, just oh, the, you wow. know these little pockets. Yeah. And so we started traveling to those places uh, more and more. And um, so that, that was a big one. That, that jumped it up to another level as well. Uh, at this point now, we're, we're, we quit our day jobs. We're, we're traveling around a lot more, playing a lot more shows uh, and selling CDs. You know, it, it was a completely different era from today as far as how you got your music to market okay um we we saved our money um from the shows that we were doing and we would go into the recording studio and we would work and 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 put out our own cds have them manufactured and we were very fortunate to have good relationships with uh, a distributor or cd distributor here in town so we were able to get our our CDs into all the record stores, you know, at the time it was Oasis and Waves and National Record Mart and able to get our CDs in, in all the stores in Western Pennsylvania and Eastern Ohio and Northern West Virginia. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, you know, um, uh, just a supply and demand. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. a big demand. The more, the more you get on the radio, the bigger demand for, for live shows and, and CDs were and, so we started selling a bunch of CDs, started making some money. And this is about the time that um, record companies start sniffing around. As soon as they see that, you know, you're selling a bunch of CDs out of your trunk, so to speak. Yeah. Um, they start sniffing around. So we had some interest from a couple of managers and, and some record companies. And then we did an album in 96 called Someday Maybe. Right. And there's Someday Maybe called Caroline. And we were at a... Uh, a music festival in Detroit and um, just one of a, a bunch of bands on the bill. And there was a band uh, from Indianapolis uh, playing there as well called the Y store. And they were on a label called way cool music, which was part of MCA. Mm-hmm. And the president of way cool was at this event and he saw our band and, and heard Caroline and just loved it and signed the band. So we signed a deal with MCA in uh, 96 they re-released someday. Maybe we did some repackaging and they re-released it in 97. Um, and we were very hopeful, you know, sort of get us over the hump nationally. They released Caroline as a single nationally and it got a little bit of airplay, but not nearly as much as we were hoping for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they dropped the band after one album. We had a two album deal, but it didn't, didn't work. So they dropped the band after one album, which was fine. And, and, uh, they let us, let us go to, to do our own thing. And this was probably the first time that I think we all sort of took stock of, of where we were and what we were going to do. And um, if there was ever a point where the band was going to dissolve, that would have probably been it. But yeah. I don't think any of us really 
wanted to do that or go any in any other direction or, or get day jobs. Right, again. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at this point, we had a pretty nice following. Yeah, right. Uh, built a, a real nice uh, fan base. And so we kept playing live and, and doing shows. We're stu- still doing really well. We we're still making money. And, and we decided to do a live album. We were playing at the time. The club we were playing at a lot in Pittsburgh was Nick's Fat City on the south side. Okay. So we um, we did a live album there, and uh, I think we recorded it in '97 uh, or '98, and 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 put it out um, around that time, and and that was huge for us. I mean, that album uh, we do we just sold a ton of them, and yeah. you know it was very uh, relative to a studio album. It was fairly inexpensive to 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 do. Mm-hmm. It's just we recorded a couple three nights uh, down at uh, Nick's Fat City with our good friend Rick Witkowski. And um, it turned out great, and people loved it, and we were just selling CDs hand over fist, and and um, signed with uh, Razor and Tie, which was a what considered a major independent label. It was in, based in New York City, and they had big time distribution through Universal, so they were able to, um, you know, help us maybe try to get to another level. And and uh, you know, when we were on MCA, we. We're introduced to a guy named Justin Kneebank, who's a producer, lived in Franklin, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, and he had mm-hmm. worked with some some big names. and And um, he liked what we were doing, and we loved what he did, and so we we made an album together called "Let It Go," and uh, that was we made the album in '99. And Razor and Tie, we signed with Razor and Tie, and they they put that album out in 2000, and and uh, that took it to another level. I mean, they they had better off without you we've got some airplay all over the country and we were just doing bigger and bigger shows and just kept growing from there i mean we were very fortunate we did some really cool things around that time we we toured um with steely dan on the east coast Uh, we didn't open up for them we weren't on the same stage but they were doing all the amphitheaters the outdoor amphitheaters that summer um from you know boston down to florida and uh they had a stage outside uh, near the entrance. So when people were coming in for the show, uh, we would pull for an hour or so as people were coming in. And, and that was just really a great experience. Made a lot of new fans and, right. and got yeah. to see Steely Dan every night. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, was, I was a huge fan. So that was a really cool thing. Just got to, you know, touring all over the country and got to see the, you know, the country a lot and, uh, that was just a neat, neat experience. And, and really that album, Let It Go, was, uh, I think for me, well, I think all the guys would agree. Uh, and for me in particular, just creatively, it was a real high watermark for the band. I mean, there was some really great stuff on that album, uh, Born Too Late and uh, the song Butterflies and Airplanes and Snowman and I'm a Fool. And I could just go on and on. A lot of those songs we still play live. It, Let It Go is a great one on that one as well. Um what? That 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 entire album, I I mean, if if I would say you know if you have to listen to one Clark's album or something, that would probably be my go to one, and um, I guess it it maybe worked out in the long run to not be with MCA and to go with uh, a Razor and Tie and kind of do your own thing for maybe a little bit because it seems like that really pushed you ahead. It sure did. I mean, you know, things just I, you know, there's that saying things happen for a reason and. And uh, it was uh, definitely a beneficial relationship uh, with us and Razor and Tyler. We did three albums with them. Uh, we followed that up in 2002 uh, with another happy ending. And then in 2004, we did an album called Fast Moving Cars. And 
Um, and then the industry changed. You know, that was that was the beginning of Napster and, and digital um, uh, file sharing. Right. Uh, and the, and the, the really the bottom fell out as far as you know selling CDs. Um, you know, we had high hopes for for those albums, but boy, when when it was when the ability for people to uh, just download songs for free right. yeah. <laughs> on the internet, um, it just killed CD sales and sort of, um, I don't want to say stopped our momentum, but it was just a real hurdle for a lot of bands. And, and uh, uh, you know, this around that time, I was in my late 30s um, and I was ready to start a family. I wanted to to be a husband and a father and Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I had met my wife 10 years prior and we had, uh, dated briefly back in, in the early nineties and then just remained friends for many years. And then in the early two thousands, we got back together again and, um, decided to start a family. So the year fast moving cars came out, 2004 was the year, um, our first daughter was born. And, and at that point, um, after fast moving cars sort of ran its course, you know, I sold, I told the guys that I actually moved to Dallas, Texas. My oh, wife okay. was living there. She's from Western Pennsylvania originally, but she was living there for her job. And, and I moved there and lived there for four years. And, and you know, I told the guys, I said, I, I just can't do 150, 200 shows a year anymore. I've got a kid. Yeah. Uh, and I got a wife and, uh, you know, I want to be here for this family. And so we really just kind of slowed down the touring and, and sort of the, the mid part of that uh, decade. Um, you know, we still played, but we didn't play as often. And I was uh, writing songs and, and made an album in, in Dallas with a bunch of really great Texas musicians. And it's called Traveling On. That came out in 2007. And then uh, uh, moved back to Pennsylvania. We, we had our second child down there. Our, we have three daughters and mm-hmm. our second daughter, Ava, was born in, in Dallas. And when she was just a baby, we came back to Pennsylvania. Uh, Denise was able to, her job didn't require her to be there. She traveled and moved out of our home. So, um, and I had been traveling back and forth for shows. And, and so it was a little, a little difficult at times to be based out of Texas. So we came back to Pittsburgh and, um, and, uh, you know, put down roots here and our, our, both of our mothers and fathers were still alive. So that we were fortunate that they got to be a big part of their, their grandchildren's uh, lives in the early part of, um, uh, uh, the last decade, uh, yeah. 2010. And, and so, um, yeah, we, we, uh, the band continued to, to write and record, um, and, uh, tour on a, uh, a more regional basis than, than we had been. Mm-hmm. So I guess this would have been right around the time of your first daughter in 2004. Uh, you did David Letterman, right? Right. So how yes, was that wife, experience? Months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> how was, how was she okay with that, that you're leaving to go do David Letterman? She came, she came with me. Oh, I mean, good. She brought yeah. all of our significant others. I mean, this was a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Um, and we were, you know, just celebrating, uh, you know, this kind of uh, achievement. Yeah. Uh, our, our manager called us up, called me up and said, what do you like to do late, the late show with David Letterman? And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm, yeah. I'm there. So that was August 30th, 2004. Yeah. Uh, Sophie was born on October 25th. So like I said, it was only around two months prior to her being born. My <laughs> yeah. wife was there with me and uh, all the other wives were there. And 
The way you knew the date of the of Letterman, I was hoping you knew your daughter's date as fast, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Farrah Fawcett was the guest oh, wow. yeah. that night, <laughs> and uh, I had uh, my our, our tour manager John Williams had couple weeks prior had said you know you really should wear a Farrah Fawcett t-shirt on Letterman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great idea so we scoured the internet and he found one and I found one so I, I wore the one that he had found and <laughs> and, uh, and when we finished our song you know Letterman comes over and he shakes everybody's hand he he sort of shook my hand and whispered in my ear nice shirt <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome that was a that was a cool moment, and they recorded that early in the day. They, like five o'clock is when they record the show. Okay. So after we were done, uh, we went out and had dinner, and then we found a, a a bar, and we told the manager said, "Hey, we're going to be on Letterman tonight. Yeah. Would you put the TVs on Letterman?" And they were like, "Oh, of course." So yeah. we uh, we sat down and and ordered <laughs> up a round of drinks, except for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <We> really <laughs> party. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh-huh. And uh, it was a pretty cool experience being in Manhattan and and sitting in a bar and and seeing yourselves on the Late Show with David Letterman and we, we toasted it, did a yeah. shot. That has that was to, a cool thing. That has to be one of the your favorite memories, I would assume. Oh, absolutely, definitely one of my favorite uh, musical memories. And th- and that's one of those things that like it 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 kind of ranges not just musically but in comedy or or acting. Like being on the Late Show is like an achievement. Like you've made. It, in whatever your field is, you've made it to at least that point. So right. it's it's I don't know. In, in all fields, it, it's such it's such an awesome achievement, and and that's such a good story to go with it. And I love hearing the the little aside from Letterman about the t shirt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely validation. Uh, you know, I, in the music business, and it doesn't matter who you are. Or there are detractors, and there are people who just you know aren't going to like you and. Um, but when you when you have those kind of achievements, even if they don't, people don't like your music. I mean, you have to recognize that um, you've reached a certain point of uh, uh, a certain high water mark in your career, and, and that was definitely one for us. Yeah, I, I mean, Letterman's iconic, and I was I was going through kind of just the the Wikipedia kind of highlights, and one, another thing that that popped out to me. Um, as far as iconic is the Simpsons. And I saw they had a cover that you did of uh, um, a wonderful world uh, that they did at the end. And two things about that one, it's, it's incredible that you, you're almost immortalized in the Simpsons, the longest running, uh, you know, TV show probably right. ever now, another one older than me. Um, but you also have such a unique voice that when I, when I watched the clip, I was like, Oh yeah, that's the Clarks. That's Scott. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, that was that was a cool thing too. Um, you know, we recorded "What a Wonderful World" for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They had asked right. us to record that for to use it in in during their games and after victories, they would play it. And um, they won the cup that and, year, right? What's that? They won the Stanley Cup that year, I believe, or at least they made it. I don't oh, want to give yeah. you full credit, was, but right, it was part two thousand. So 2008, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, the 2008-2009 season. So they or, definitely or, made uh, it. When did they win the cup? What the, if the Crosby's first one was maybe 08 or 09? Yeah, I think I, I think exactly. they lost to the Red Wings the won- first one and then beat them the following year. So I think right. it was 2008 going into 2009. Yeah, it was yeah, it was right around that time, and 
our managers, uh, you know, we have great management. Rashawn Blumberg, Michael Solomon, Brickwall Management. Uh, you know, they're always working the phones, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, they were always pitching our music to um, music directors for movies and TV shows and whatnot. And, and uh, they said, hey, the, the Simpsons, uh, they want to use your version of What a Wonderful World for uh, for the uh, – uh, the season premiere, I can't remember what season it was, but um, it was just such a cool thing. And my kids were really young at the time. And I remember it was uh, on, a, it came on on a Sunday night, I think nine or nine thirty, and we let them stay up and watch <laughs> <laughs> so they could hear, hear daddy singing on the Simpsons. What, um, was it something they was enjoyed? Anything. What's that? Did they enjoy it or was it something like, ah, that's just our dad? Oh, they loved it. They okay, thought it good. was totally cool. Okay, um, good. Yeah. But, and then, and, and but still, there's that element of it's just dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That uh, I could, I could see that. I have, I have two boys, uh, six and eight, and uh, I, yeah. No matter, no matter what I do, or you know, I get to talk to you know really interesting people, and they don't care. They're like, okay, you're annoying. We don't want to hear your voice anymore. <laughs> right. So yeah, right. but I, I get that. So um, I guess I was talking about you know your favorite shows or favorite times with with Letterman. Um, what doing your, you know, throughout your career is, do you think that you got to enjoy it during the ride or were you always focused kind of on the next thing? Cause they always say, you know, you're so focused on the end point. You don't enjoy the journey as much. Is that something you got to kind of enjoy and savor during your career? I think during the nineties and I had a good time the whole time. I mean, yeah. I, there was, you know, there, there's nothing like being on stage in front of a, a big audience or even a small audience. And just, if they love your music and they're singing your, your songs back to you, it's, it's yeah. just a special experience. And so, and, and those are moments where, um, I think one of the, the things that make them so special is you're just, you're in the moment, you're living in the moment. You're not worried about the future. You're not thinking about the past. Yeah. You're just you're right in the moment. And, and it's just, that's what's one of the beauties of, of music and live performance. Um, but in the nineties, yeah, I was definitely concerned or not concerned, but just, you know, wanting to, to reach higher right. peaks. And um, you know, you're always thinking about, well, how will this affect our career? How, you know, how are we going to get the, you know, get our songs on the radio or get videos made or whatnot. So um, yeah, there was definitely a, a lot of um, uh, goal seeking. Right. Uh, and then the, early 2000s uh you know i got a little older and i you know I, I think i enjoyed the process a lot more i remember making the album the let it go album in 99 down in franklin tennessee and just that whole experience was a, an amazing experience to be down there and in nashville and just really soaking up the atmosphere living down there for a couple of weeks at a time and and uh, just love that and, and and really specifically the letterman show i remember um at that point in our career, I honestly knew that, you know, we weren't going to reach sort of the, the, the high point that I had set out for ourselves. Um, and so, um, you know, Letterman, I just, I just loved every minute of it. I just soaked it all in. And, and, and we, you know, before the, before the taping, we were doing our sound check and talking to Paul Schaefer and he's just a real music geek. And he was just asking Rob about his amp set up and and everybody was just really nice there and just really enjoyed the day and didn't didn't think too much about oh what's this going to do for our career just had a had a lot of fun and and certainly as i got older and, and you know uh 
the process of making records and, and just enjoying the process more and, and not worried so much about well, what's this going to do for a career. Yeah, that, that, that takes time. When you're younger, you're sort of hell bent on, on reaching the top of the mountain. Um, but as you get older, you just enjoy the, the climb. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of some, some local things that, um, is, I guess, personal to me. I work in Beaver. So every year it was always one of the big things at Thursdays that used to be there, or now it's Mario's. Uh, the Clarks right. would always come down and play. So kind of how I just curious, is that something, uh, the Clarks look forward to as well every year playing in Beaver? I know the people in Beaver oh. always love it. Oh yeah. I, Thursdays was always a special gig for us. We just love playing down there for a long time. It was owned by Ed Campbell and he was a good friend and, and, uh, we just loved playing there. And, and, you know, there's a lot of places like that. You get to know the owners and the promoters and become friends with these people and become friends with the fans and, and the people, you know, specifically to Beaver, you know, we made a lot of good friends, the people that come to those shows year after year, you see their faces, you talk to them before and after shows and, and a lot of fans become friends. Um, so that's what makes it special. You get to see your friends and, and always loved Thursdays. Yeah. Yeah. And now what's yeah. now Mario's. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so um, what kind of things do we have coming up for you? I saw uh, personally, you have something at five, six, five live. And I bring that up because that's where we record the podcast, our normal pod, poor man's podcast. We record straight from there. So I definitely recommend the venue. I don't know if you've been down there at all yet, but it's a very nice, intimate venue. I haven't, but I was looking at the website and it looks really nice. I'm really excited about playing there. In fact, that's uh, that's coming up real soon. Is that? I think that's this weekend. That's yeah. this Friday, I think. I think it might be. Yeah. So. yeah Depending on when you hear this, um, it may have already happened. Yeah, but. I've been... I've been doing a lot of solo shows. You know, the band still does uh, does our thing. Uh, I'm doing a lot a lot of solo shows this year. I mean, the, the floodgates sort of opened wide uh, post COVID. Yeah, and um, I just I just want to play. I just I, I love I love singing. I love playing. I love to be able to play solo. I, I still love being on stage with the band and the other six guys and just making that big glorious noise and. Uh, but solo shows are really fun. I get to do, it's a completely different show. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I tell a lot of stories and oh, make people laugh yeah. and give them uh, sort of the backstories to, to where these songs come from and play some covers. And That's and, almost uh, better to you know, me. And I can play a lot of different types of venues too that, 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 you know, the band can't really do. I play house parties, you know, retirement parties, birthday parties. I can play yeah. smaller clubs. I can play you know, um, small sort of community outdoor festivals in the summertime. And yeah. uh, it's just been a, a really good thing. Awesome. So um, anything coming up with the Clarks? Um, I saw there's a show with Gene the Werewolf. Uh, they're opening for you, I believe, in November. Can you tell anybody about that and uh, tell anybody where they can find your dates that if they're interested in finding you? Well, I think the, the show you're talking about with Gene is uh, – uh, the Palace Theater in yes. Greensburg, which is a an annual event for us. We play for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of yes. uh, of uh, Laurel Highlands, and that's just a great show every year. And that's such a beautiful venue, one of our favorite places to play. And so we're doing that again. And then uh, got a couple shows at Jurgles in Warrendale uh, the weekend after Thanksgiving, the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. We're playing out there and. And uh, the full, you know, Clark's schedule of shows can be found on our website, clarksonline.com. 
and from there you can get you know access our, our social media sites for more details and then uh you know, a lot of solo gigs, um, scottblasey.com, um, if you want to know where I'm playing my my solo shows. and um, We put out a couple songs a couple, two or three years ago that, that people really re- responded well to. And um, it, like I said, it's a different world as far as releasing music these days, so you don't have to really make a full album. We put out three songs, on yeah. a little EP a couple years ago, and we'll probably do that again next year we continue to write and, and uh, we'll probably record again soon and, and get some more new music out to our fans. And I'm going to actually release, uh, I recorded a, a version of it's the most wonderful time of the year last year with some friends. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to release that um, on November 1st, uh, sort of uh, as a holiday gift to my fans. Absolutely. Um, stayed true to the Andy Williams 60s version. Oh, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, great band and background singers and and a horns. And it's, you know, a little different. Certainly not not uh, sort of Clark style, but I think people will really enjoy it. So um, uh, follow me on, uh, come to scottblasey.com and then follow me on Facebook. And I'll keep you posted on on when that comes out. Awesome. Thank you so much. And like you were saying, you're, you're doing that cover and I guess you started out kind of like a cover band and your original songs are so good, but even your covers, like I said, you have a unique sound and a unique flair to it and it makes it better in, in a lot of situations, in my opinion. But, uh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And, and also congratulations with the Clarks because you don't see a lot of bands who, like each other enough to stick around for that long so that in and of itself is very impressive thank you we're we're, we're family at this point i mean it's it's a it's a real brotherhood yeah uh the four of us have been together the whole time and uh we've we added three guys about 13 14 years ago yeah uh, and it really uh breathed new life into the band and and just couldn't be happier that we're still still here still making music very grateful Awesome. Scott, once again, thank you so much. We'll, uh, we'll tag you and uh, put all your links up there. But uh, thank you once again. Thanks, Christopher. Pleasure being here, man. Absolutely. Thank you. See you. I'm Scott Tady, entertainment editor from the Beaver County Times, and you're listening to Poor Man's Podcast. Thank you again to Scott. That was awesome to talk to him. Uh, I really did have a great time. We talked for about half an hour, and it flew by. Um, it was – he's – so nice uh you know every time i've heard him in interviews before talking to him myself and he sounded like the nicest guy and you know i was not disappointed at all uh super polite uh a guy you root for a guy you know uh, you're you're happy that he's from the area so uh you know follow him follow his uh shows coming up he has one uh november we were talking about uh with gene the werewolf he uh he has some solo shows that he does so follow him on his uh, personal website, follow the Clark's website, follow them on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. If you like the Poor Man's Podcast one-on-one, thank you for listening. Um, we have a couple other shows. This is actually uh, the fourth episode of Poor Man's Podcast one-on-one. Um, you can also listen to me talk to comedian Frank Nicotero, uh, former Pittsburgh Penguin, Darius Kasparitis, uh, American Idol singer and country singer locally, Morgan Gruber. And obviously this one right now with Scott Blazy. 
if you're into science or even if you're not into science, I also have a new series with James Sanders. He is a science communicator specializing in astrophysics and astronomy. We sit down and talk about black holes. Um, like I said, you don't have to know anything about it to enjoy it. That's kind of the idea behind it. I don't know too much about it, but it blows my mind. You know, all this science stuff blows my mind in outer space anymore. And uh, he explains it for anybody to, to uh Understand, and I kind of make some pop culture references with uh, Interstellar, some black holes, some uh, movie references as well. So I can't recommend that enough. Thank you so much for listening. I can't uh, ask you enough to uh, subscribe. Can't ask you enough to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, X. I guess I don't know. Uh, you don't have to follow us on that. We don't do anything. Twitter. But uh, thank you so much for listening. And for Scott Blazy, I'm Chris. Thank you for listening. I'm going to say I'm so happy that I was allowed to be part of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a good time. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the show to catch the latest episodes and share with your friends. We can't promise not to embarrass you. And if you just can't get enough, follow us on Instagram at Poor Man's Podcast 412, Twitter at Poor Man's Pod 412, and Facebook. This is Pittsburgh's own Poor Man's Podcast, signing off. See you next week. In my opinion, that sucked. Woo! Woo! Poor Man's Podcast, the best podcast in Pittsburgh. Straight cash, homie.